This is Heat Check coming at you from downtown Phoenix. I'm actually seeing Gabe. He's in an edit bay across the hallway. I'm on the other side. This is quite weird. I'm Peyton Gallagher. As I said, that's Gabe Schwartz, and we talk about college basketball, amongst other things on this program. And Gabe, the top story in the sport is stupid this week, but it's something that we have to talk about. We were talking about how we were going to make the show today, and there's no way to get around this topic that is Jalen Johnson, five-star freshman at Duke, deciding to opt out, maybe deciding to quit, depending on who you ask, on the season and turn his attention towards the NBA draft coming up here in 2021. He was a big part of the team early on. If you remember, had the the spectacular debut where he approached a triple-double, had like 20 rebounds, played a season-low eight minutes against the University of Miami the other day, a game in which Duke looked very good and won. And then he decided to leave the program. There's some speculation that it had something to do with a foot injury. I want your read on this because it seems to be a hot button topic in the college basketball internet sphere. And I know how I feel about it. I've got a feeling I know how you feel about it. Yeah, I think, and I think that we feel differently about this. Um, really? I, I think so. I'm in, okay. I would just say this. I've seen a lot of talk about this across the internet. There is, of course, there's the the old crowd that says you're a good old fashioned quitter. You gave up on your team. You left everybody hanging, yada, yada, yada. You can make the case that Duke is better off without him, that they play better when they just know that they don't have him. They beat Wake Forest on the road by 20 plus last night. And that's a, a Wake Forest team that kept it within five, I think, at Cameron Indoor earlier, earlier this year. Um, there's that crowd. There's the – I think there's the rational crowd, which I guess both of us are in, even though I think I think we're going to lean different ways maybe. Um, and then there's the the players can never do any wrong. This Anything wrong, this is a pandemic. Um, he opted out. He's going to the NBA. Yeah, like his draft – he's just preserving his draft stock and such. Um I don't fall in the camp of players can do no wrong. I don't, and especially a guy who jumped around from high school to high school, played three high schools in three years. And then you show up at Duke, things don't go the way that you think they're going to. And you just clean out your locker the day after everybody played well, when you played a a season low in minutes, it seems like a bad look. It seems like bad optics. And from everything that I've read and heard NBA scouts are taking exception to it. And that doesn't surprise me because that's not the character of a guy that you want to build your franchise around. And if that's a lottery pick that he was being mocked sixth, the last I looked, if that's a guy you're taking a top 10 pick on and when things get tough, he just bails. That's not a good sign. Right. I I think you're having a different discussion. If you're talking about a James Weissman type talent Um, like last year and, and given everything that happened with the suspension, a little bit different with Weissman for a lot of reasons, but Weissman was a much more sought after prospect that changes things a little bit. For Jalen Johnson, he's a wing that can't shoot. So that gives him a pretty hard cap right now in terms of an NBA prospect. And honestly, at this stage, I think was doing a detriment to his 
NBA draft stock. So to that regard, I do appreciate him making this decision because it probably is the best thing for his draft stock, especially if the reports about this foot injury that almost yielded a similar decision earlier in the year, like Duke expected him not to come back um, after their winter break, I guess, by self-imposed bye week that they said, we're just not playing our last two conference games. People thought he was going to leave the program then. So he came back. That was a little bit of a surprise to people, at least within Duke, based on the reporting that's come out now about this. But all things considered, I think this is an incredibly nuanced thing. And you have to take into um, account all of the different aspects involved. And there is no absolute correct opinion, I don't think, on this. I'm going to try and give credence to all the aspects as I interpreted them. So... Like you said, I, I think it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I'm not going to try and speak to you about the sanctity of college sports and amateurism, although there is something to that. Like There is an emotional aspect that says, like, you shouldn't quit on your team. Like a Coach, uh, Coach Carter-type mentality, right, of, yeah, if given the choice, you would hope that he would honor his commitment to the school, even if it wasn't the best thing for him. And, and – keep going, but like, who am I also to think that if it would be at a detriment to him to stick around? So those are kind of the, the, the crossroads, I think, in interpreting this, he, people were saying it's his right. Yeah. It's absolutely his right to do this. It's uh-huh. there, there are very few things that you don't have a right to do. You can't run around naked. You can't kill people <laughs> like those. You don't have the right to do that. You have absolutely as a full grown human being, with all the rights that could go fight in a war as often as that argument is made and maybe as stupidly as that argument is made. Yeah. He's got the Liberty to step away from college and, and back out of this opportunity and try and prepare for the NBA draft. Again, that might be the best thing for him. Yeah. And it, so Johnson finishes with 13 games played. I'm pulling it up at the moment because I want to see the comparison. Um, because I've seen the comparison. Yeah, Kyrie Irving played 11 games. This is a different situation than Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving... He's going to be the first overall pick. Yeah, he was... Well, he was going to be the first overall pick. Um, I believe he came back and played in the NCAA tournament, or at least tried to. He never fully left the team. Um, Yeah, he came back in the NCAA tournament and played three games. He didn't quit on his team. He had a real foot injury that... um, And I'm not saying that Johnson didn't have a real foot injury, but there are people that are high-level college basketball people who are speculating. Oh, Jeff Goodman. Yeah, um, that that is not necessarily what was happening, and it was kind of a, a cover-up for him um, wanting to take a little break away from the team earlier in the year. Um, so that's possible. I would just say quitting. You, We know how, how his teammates are going to feel about this. Maybe, maybe they're like, we don't need that guy. Um, that's probably – the, the coping mechanism they're going to go with and the way right. they're going to the bond and, and get over it. Right. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you just, I don't know how he's, he said goodbye or how he told people, but just bailing when you were quoted on an Instagram live before the season saying, I don't care if I average zero, zero and zero, as long as we win a national title. And then suddenly you're eight and eight and play eight minutes in, in a game. And you're just like, yeah, this is not for me. It's, it's a tough look. So I, I don't know how that translates to 
um, his lifetime role within the brotherhood. I would say the brotherhood is uh, on the ropes. It's fighting for its life. Uh, <laughs> the brotherhood is, is on its lap. I don't know. This is, this is a tough look for it um, for him to just be bailing. But I mean, you mentioned it, coach K didn't want to play non-conference games. So it seems like there's just a lot of uh, haphazard effort going on in Durham in regards to playing or not playing college basketball this right. year. I don't want to speculate. Like I said, this is incredibly nuanced and you can't enter um, the situation. You can't enter Jalen Johnson's head to uh, unfurl kind of the intricacies of this whole situation that's precipitated him deciding to step away from the program for the rest of the year. Like I said, I think this is the best thing for him to do. His draft stock was falling in early February, Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz of ESPN had a mock as the sixth overall pick in this draft. I don't think that he is trending in that direction. I think he's trending as a guy who's going to get picked somewhere late lottery to pick 25 as things stand right now. And it, it certainly was not going to help. The writing was on the wall. He's playing less and less. and The team is doing better. So that's not going to change. It's also that's just also a bad sign, like in general. Yeah, sure. And for his his NBA looks that a team right. that struggled as much as Duke just looks better when he found him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was a weird fit. They've got a lot of front court depth, but all of that on the table, it was not going to help his draft stock to continue to play, especially if he has a foot injury, which is always concerning for big guys. So all that out in the open. I think he is making the best decision for him, right? In an ideal world, in a non-COVID world, because I think that's a significant factor here. You know, he's playing in front of the crazies. That's probably changed how Duke's season's gone significantly, and he sticks around. I don't know if this is going to become like a real trend in college basketball, but I think if you see elite draft prospects on teams that have no prospect of doing anything in the postseason and players with no potential of helping their stock, you're going to see him step away from programs. But everybody was clamoring for Zion Williamson to do this a couple years ago, and he loved playing on that Duke team enough to come back and play. He's still the number one overall pick. You turned out fine. So for every Jalen Johnson, there will be a Zion Williamson. This is not indicative of some trend. It is absolutely his right to do this. I wish that it wasn't a situation where he felt like he had to. Do I commend it? I think I probably don't. It's, I mean, it's impossible for me to say that I – in his situation wouldn't make that choice, but I don't think personally based on my moral code, not to say that I'm such a morally superior human being to Jalen Johnson. I don't know what other commit he may have the family to think about. He's got other things on the table, so on and so forth. I don't think that that's something that I could live with just quitting like that because he quit, he quit the team. That is what happened. That is a fact. He quit on this team, regardless of the circumstances that facilitated it. So I don't think it's something that I could do, but if it's the right decision for him, who am I to tell him that he's wrong and we'll see how it plays out in the draft. We'll see how it plays out with the rest of his career. I hope he doesn't have any regrets about this when he's 40 and his basketball playing days are over. I, I just wonder what his association with Duke's going to look like down the line, but yes, yeah. I'd say for every Jalen Johnson, there will be a Zion Williamson. I would say for every Jalen Johnson, there will be four more Jalen Johnsons because there's still four Jalen Johnsons left in college basketball this year, just scattered throughout the country. If you don't get the joke, there literally are several Jalen Johnsons on other teams around the nation. Um, not 
not metaphoric, literally other people named Jalen Johnson on basketball rosters everywhere. Um, So we'll move on now. Enough of this tomfoolery. Let's talk about something that actually matters. Talk about teams that are actually going to do something in March. Let's get our just a sec update in before we jump into what is going to be a raucous back into the show where I denounce Luca Garza yet again. And I'm sure you'll try to defend him as we do top five Thursday and other things. I think, I think you need to first of all, start this just a sec with the text that I sent you earlier this week. That you are somehow a bigger SEC fan than I am because you like Arkansas. I mean, dude, I can get behind Eric Musselman taking his shirt off and running around too. And Eric Musselman is a, a muscly man. That guy is cut up for his age, but like, I mean, just just because I'm not running around the room with my shirt off to match that same energy because Arkansas is beating competent teams does not mean I'm an SEC fan. I just love – there's too many teams in this conference that I love the way they play basketball. <laughs> Arkansas and Alabama being the two that stand out the most. Obviously. Two is too many to you? Because no. I don't feel like any other team in this league. You hate Tennessee. You hate Missouri. You really hate Kentucky. I, I know like you're Miss. a big Devontae Shuler guy. Over I like there, Ole Miss, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Romello White. Shout out Kermit. I like uh, Auburn, too. Okay. Cool. <laughs> you like four teams. Congratulations. You were the one who was coming at me for having conference pride. Like, that was something <laughs> that shouldn't exist. So, get out of my face. But here's the update. Arkansas is now 17-5. and five. They've actually beaten two teams that matter. Back-to-back wins over Missouri. Well, I guess we can debate whether or not Missouri matters or not. But back-to-back wins over Missouri, Florida. Those are the two teams that they've played so far that actually are going to be in the tournament that they've beaten. I mean, we can have a discussion about whether Florida is a tournament team or not. But those are significant wins on the resume. They're helping their seed line. And then all of a sudden you look down at a, a team that's 17-5 and five with some wins that substantiate it. They play Alabama next week. What's your read now on Arkansas? Do you think they're actually trending up, or do you think the two teams that they've just beaten aren't really that special? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what other people think. And other and people thinking that – no, no, no. Other people <laughs> – other pe- <laughs> you can say what you want about uh, our boy Ken. I will. I just did. Yeah. What I will say is it doesn't matter what I think because – People think the general population of AP poll voters, um, I don't think they'll be ranked after this next week um, after losing to Arkansas and losing to Georgia. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. But I don't think that Missouri is very good, but most people in the college basketball media landscape do. And so for that reason, beating them, yeah, it it ups your stock. And beating Florida ups your stock. Florida is a a pretty solid team. I would anticipate them competing in an NCAA tournament game the first uh, Friday or Saturday of this year's tournament. Um, And when Justin Smith plays, Arkansas is a really competent, formidable team. They're definitely a ranked program. And like I said before, the issue has always been that they had missed on their opportunities. They lost to Missouri at home. They lost at Tennessee. They got blown out at Alabama, losing by 31, 90 to 59. Um, they beat up on the bottom of the conference. They lost the, a, a toss-up game in, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge to Kate Cunningham and Oklahoma State. And now they get four straight wins uh, against a Kentucky team that was fighting and they win by one on the road. 
And if, if this trend continues, one of the benefits for them is they do have rhythm. They are gaining rhythm and they're gaining confidence because they're one of the few programs that's gotten 20 plus games. There are 22 games on the year. That's obviously helpful. And we know based on evidence from seasons past, of course, when teams, once they get to the 22 through 25, 28 ish games, late February, where we are now, that's when teams get better. That's when teams grow. And in a COVID year, it even extenuates the gap of teams that have played 15 games and teams that have played 22. That was the debate that we had had before the show about Xavier and St. John's. It's like two teams with similar resumes. One team got a chance to play a ton of games and now they look good. They look like they have an identity. The other team is still in flux. That's the way Arkansas is. Yeah, I agree. And having extra games, you can say what you want about extra miles on the body, but it's not like it's, it's still fewer games than you typically play. So I would say they're in great shape. Yeah. So, and here's the deal with Arkansas. They get the transfer from Indiana, Justin Smith, and he's been the common denominator in their success. Their record right now on the season with Justin Smith, they're 16 and two without they're one in three. So we're going to see, and given Justin Smith did participate in the game where they got absolutely crushed in Tuscaloosa, lost 90 to 59, but Justin Smith is not a 31 point margin by himself. So they'll take on um, Alabama at Bud Wall Arena here coming up next weekend and get another chance to elevate their seed line. They could elevate themselves into a top five seed with a win in that game. I, I really do believe that the way they're playing right now. Um, tough loss at Oklahoma State, also with Justin Smith, where Cade Cunningham hit a buzzer beater, Oklahoma State's tournament team, with the potential number one overall draft pick on the team who hit a game-winning shot. That happens. Um, so you're looking at Arkansas right now. They're playing great basketball. Their schedule is not too difficult other than that Alabama game closing out the year. Um, they're tied in the, the win column and loss column. I think they're, they're in second right now. In the SEC, they're tied in the loss column with LSU, which I Tennessee fallen fast. But besides the point, the remaining schedule is at AM. That should be a win. Sorry, Buzz. First Alabama. That's going to be a toss-up, but you do have them at home, and Arkansas has got a history of beating top teams at home. Versus LSU, another tough game, but very winnable at South Carolina to close the year. To you, Gabe Swartz. Arkansas wins those four, wins the SEC tournament. Everything's rolling in Fayetteville. What is their seed line if that is to happen? They win the SEC tournament. At least get to the title game. We'll do that then. Yeah, because if they play Alabama three times, I I was just curious. Three-point variance obviously matters. The first time that they played, they shot four of 17 from three, and Bama went – 15 of 36. So that's a 33 point margin at the three point line. And they lost by 31 makes a lot of sense. I would anticipate the second matchup. If the three point numbers are closer, it will be a lot closer. And if there's a third matchup at the SEC tournament, um, I'm good with the SEC tournament. As long as we get a final of Alabama against anybody, um, preferably Tennessee, Florida, or Arkansas, maybe LSU would be a ton of fun as well. Um, if Arkansas gets to the SEC championship game and they hold at least one win against Alabama, I think they get up to a six or a five seed. That's it. If they win the SEC tournament, then maybe, maybe they sneak into a four. Because they're sitting on a six line right now and could elevate from that. 
So it, it ultimately it just depends on, uh, upon do you beat Alabama at some point? Yeah, and I think there is. How like what does it look like? There's certainly a pathway in which they went out the rest of their their schedule, and at that point, you're sitting on an eight game win streak approaching the NCAA tournament. Not a bad place to be at all if you just look at their conference win streak. The loss that breaks it up is their loss in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then they've won seven SEC games in a row. They're able to sweep these last four. You're looking at an 11-game conference winning streak. If this was not a school that had won a national championship and was elite in the 90s, like for Alabama, they won 11 straight conference games, and that was the best their school had ever done. So that, that would be something very special for Eric Musselman here in year number two at Arkansas. A very uh, That's kind of like a cementing accomplishment, I would feel like, for him, as we're seeing both him and Nate Oates, two guys who were hired as contemporaries in the same offseason two years ago, kind of take off in the Southeastern Conference. Let's look they're still, at – They're still eligible for making a champion. Yes, still eligible for making a champion. So in the mix, as they say. Let's talk about Missouri for a second. Missouri, I just don't know what to do with them. If they didn't have the elite wins that they have, we'd all of a sudden, I think, be kind of talking about them as a fringy bubble team. Their top-end wins keep them out of that discussion, at least for now. They lose to a Georgia team that's scrappy but ain't good. I know you're a Missouri hater. This pretty much seems like it comes down to does Pinson make threes, given they've been without Tillman one of their best players here who's been dealing with a death in the family over, I think these last two games certainly did not play against Arkansas. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm trying to find the statistic that I had um, in regards to Missouri, but I will just say this. They're very, they're an average team. Guess, guess who's one spot ahead of them. According to Ken Pop, a team that you texted me about being a fringe tournament team this past weekend. Hmm. Uh, not Sa- Ole Miss, St. John's, Drake. 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 Okay, cool. Point made. Yeah, so Drake's 50, Missouri's 51. They're 47th in offensive efficiency, 59th in defense efficiency. They're just average. And the the crazy thing, if you want to talk luck rating, um, which you actually do put some stock into, they're 16th in the country in luck rating. Drake is 17th, which is funny. Um, it seems like they're Drake. They're pretty much Drake. Yeah, they're Drake, just they do it a different way. And the reason that they have gotten up to as high as 10th in the AP poll is because it seems like in every big game, and we can make arguments the about just about the only game that Io DeSumo did not close mm-hmm. clutch well, factor was at Missouri. Right. But it seems like in every big game, Xavier Pinson, to his credit, goes off, or at least in every time that he's needed to uh, in, in situations that are formidable we, we always talk about getting ranked is all about who you beat and if if anything when you beat them the timing of wins and losses matters a ton Missouri has timely had timely wins when they needed to and and have lost in convenient spots and eventually the convenient losses run out and they're just losses and so with with where we're at they just five losses five losses to unranked teams mm-hmm. um they're six and five in the SEC. They just, it doesn't make any sense. They, I don't, they'll probably make the tournament and they'll probably win the first game or something. 
um, if they win the first game, then they get a team that's ahead of their skis and they can pull it up. But they have just, I think they have just as good of a chance to win two games as they do to win zero. Yeah, this is a Missouri team that, as you said, has lost to five unranked teams. They've also beaten five teams that were either ranked at the time of them beating them or are ranked currently. And it would be five teams that are ranked currently if Oregon were still in the top 25, which, oh, by the way, I believe if Oregon were as healthy as they are right now and as healthy as they were when Missouri beat them throughout the entire course of the year, well, um, I think Oregon would be a top 15 team right now. So They're take that for what you will. There is no team that has been as up and down on the, the Richter scale of wins as Missouri this year. And that is a fact. Um, they're trending in the wrong direction right now. They finish up with an easy run of things at South Carolina versus a hot Ole Miss team that just killed them down in Oxford. So we'll see how that goes. Versus AM at Florida. I mean, if they lose two or three of those, things start to get a little bit hairy for them, even with the wins. So we'll see how Conzo Martin's team finishes up. That is the Just a Sec update. And somebody play some sirens. <laughs> our excellent production crew, which is literally Gabe by himself. It's just Gabe um, can put something in for a sound drop, but we, we got to do pros and cons because we had a big development up at UConn this weekend. And that is the return, the rise of the dark book night. James book night is playing basketball again. Just when I have lost all hope, I'm like, okay, we're getting yanked around by Danny Hurley. He's not actually going to play this elbow injury is really bad. Oh no. Oh God. Oh no. Um, he does play and he wears a long sleeve undershirt and he drops 18 off the bench and he looks like James book Knight, and my eyes are popping out of my head right now on the zoom call because UConn is back, baby. That was a little aggressive, a little aggressive, just like the, the put back dunk. But I, I will say if we're, if we're going to do the emergency pros and cons, I have to break bad news to you. No, it's all pros, no cons. I mean, today. well, it, it is kind of, I will provide the con then this week because I'm going to do the, I'm going to do making a champion right now. And we're just going to say UConn is a part of the cuts. They, they barely scraped by with shooting 43.4% sitting right on the cut line last week, every national champion, at least a 7.4 point differential. UConn has 6.2. So they get eliminated with Duke, Auburn, Marquette. There's your con for the week. I'm doing the work for you. Um, but what I will say is I, I, they are one Villanova blowout, one crating of, of Villanova away from being right back in play. And James Booknight is a ton of fun to watch. And this team would be, I will say it, would be safely, safely, safely in the NCAA tournament if he had been playing all year. And if anything, they'd probably yeah. be safely in the top 25. Yeah. No, he's incredible. I think, like I said, I think this team is going to be better for him not playing because other guys had to step up. You're also – undercutting the fact by just saying that it's not been book night that their their top 40 recruit jackson has not been available he's just getting back healthy they're starting to play their best basketball at the right time they'll really get a test of their medal in a makeup game against villanova this weekend that i am very excited for 11 a.m eastern time that better be gus johnson on the call all i'm saying james book night is electric folks this team is winning the national championship so I don't care about what champions you make and what you make of them. This is my proclamation. Top five Thursday time. 
we're doing it a little differently this time around. I saw an opportunity. There are five spots on the AP All-American list, five positions. It is a top five Thursday. So we're going to do that. Then we're going to get to our National Player of the Year candidates. We're going to talk about our Conference Player of the Year candidates for the Power Six Conferences. Kind of do a three-quarters poll award show on the back end of today's episode. We'll start, though, with the top five Thursday. I think we're going to have the exact same first-team All-Americans. I'll start with you, though, Gabe. I think we will, as long as you don't keep the slander going toward a certain someone. Uh, in the I thought about it. I just couldn't justify it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're going to have – I think what we should do is we should just lay out the teams and then honestly, the honorable mentions is as good of a debate as there will be because there's a good like six, seven, eight ish that you can make cases for. And I'd be interested to hear who you think fits in that category. Okay. So I'll lay out my team then and we can get on with this. Uh, at the, the guard positions, this was fairly cut and dry to me. Corey Kispert, Jared Butler. Jared Butler, I think, would be more so in the National Player of the Year conversation had his team not had this, what has essentially turned into a month layoff. Um, so that's that's an easy money decision for me. And then the, the first wing guy, these are all pretty much guards, but this is how you get the best five players in the nation onto this team. I think it was pretty obvious. You have to go with Io DeSumo. Um, that was the the first three backcourt guys that I picked. I have the same three. And then the front court, it has to be Luca Garza, the nation's leading scorer. As much as I tried to protest, as much as I tried to get uh, Drew Timmy onto my first team, can't really make an argument. And the the center has to be Evan Mobley. Yeah, I think it uh, it it has to be. There's no player in the nation with as much two-way impact as that guy this year. And USC has no business being a good team, but they legitimately are. They're a legitimate three-loss team that lost to UConn. Um, And it's going to win the Pac-12. And it is literally solely because of Evan Mobley. I don't think there is one player in the nation that has had a more direct contribution to high-level winning this year as Mobley has. I mean, it that's a little rude to the supporting cast around him. Like Ethan Anderson. They weren't good last year. They were, they, they were fine. They were a maybe make the tournament team. They no had no machinations. Well, and then they lost Jonah Matthews and other important players from that team. Yeah. And he's more than filled the void. I had them ranked that like nobody's a bigger USC fan that votes in the HC poll than I am. I had them ninth this week. Everyone else had them 12 or 14. So that's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I have Evan Mobley on my team as well. I would just say I thought long and hard. The only reason I didn't because is because of team success, like trace Jackson Davis, just watching him. I feel bad because if he had some consistent guard play, his numbers would be better. He has 19 and a half points, nine rebounds a game. I understand Mobley has length and he has versatility. He shoots the ball with a good jump shot. Um, you texted me last night. He's Tim Duncan, and he just hasn't filled out his frame yet. He's probably a little more athletic. I guess young Tim Duncan was a lot more athletic than than we remember him as. But yeah, Wake Forest Tim Duncan was was that type. I Trace Jackson Davis would be on my second team if we were doing the top 
10 Thursday. Um, but yeah, Mobley, Garza, Kispert, Butler, Tasumu. And I think of all the guards, the one that is most likely to drop off, maybe just because of games played, would be Butler. Sure, Butler. Yeah. And because you can make it, you can make a solid case Davion Mitchell has been just as good. Yeah, it's just Davion's not been as good in their big games. And I think that's why you go with Butler. But sure, no, you can absolutely make that argument. I think the natural guy to pick to replace uh, one of the guards would probably be Cade Cunningham, but he's also missed several games. So I, I just don't know if there was a likely candidate I felt like to jump in there as a guard nationally. I might be a little bit more inclined to have the discussion. I just don't know who or where that comes from. Maybe it's Miles McBride. I don't think I really see that, but I just don't know who would replace him. Maybe it's one of the Alabama guys too. Maybe you want to make an argument for Herb Jones. I'm not sure, but let's do the honorable mentions because it feels like that's a natural segue. So, uh, so if we're going guards, I, I do think in a year where, well, I, in a hypothetical where Jalen Suggs doesn't play on Gonzaga and he's playing. Yeah, sure. He just more, is. He, if he's getting more statistical numbers, which he would if he played somewhere else and his team was winning, I don't, I don't remember where else he really considered going. I think it was Pac-12 schools, if I remember correctly, like Arizona and UCLA and such. If he does that and he's doing that at UC, like if he's doing what he's doing here at UCLA, um, he would he would probably be a first team All American. In any- by the way, Jalen Suggs, they, there were no Pac twelve schools actually. It was Baylor, Georgia Tech, Iowa, Iowa State, Marquette, and Minnesota. I remember a very weird list of schools. Okay, I remember them saying that they could have had him at Iowa. Can you imagine if he had played quarterback for Iowa football and then? <laughs> made you fall in love with their basketball team and you would stop the Luca hating if you played there. Going the boat with PJ Fleck in Minnesota and popping in the booth mobile. Yeah, that would be uh, something. But so Suggs would be on my list. Um, I know you are very anti him, but other than Sabrina Ionescu, the only Pac-12 basketball player to ever go 1,600 points, 600 rebounds, 600 assists, McKinley Wright. I think he has to be in the debate. In the I'm not anti McKinley, right? I'm anti Colorado as an elite team. I I, I, I don't think they're elite. I think they're. I, I think they're a team that has a 20 percent chance or better to make the second weekend of the tournament, and you don't seem to believe that, which is it's fair. Their resume has some holes in it. Um, I'm trying. I'm just thinking out loud. Marcus Carr has a case. Not with the as of late performance. I think that the only other guy that I can see is maybe Sharif Cooper, but I just don't think that given the amount of time that he missed because of the NCAA stuff, um, I just don't necessarily think I see it. And I don't think the stat, the raw stats have been as dominant as of late. So that would be the, the, the zag there, but I don't think I see it. The other guy that I thought about, I just don't think the raw numbers are good enough is Franz Wagner as kind of a front court wing type guy, but I just don't see a world in which he does enough. Um, I, he scores 12 points per game. Like, I just don't, that's not good enough to be a first team all American. I think he'll contend to be on the second team. Don't think he'll be on the first team. I think he is uh, a top three team in the nation's best player though. 
Well, I think he's the best NBA player on that team. I think Isaiah Livers is still the best player on that team. And I think Isaiah Livers is going to get the postseason recognition. The, the, yeah, I, I disagree with that. But if we're, if, if, okay, if we're going to forwards and we're going to guys that. Yeah. Do, and I think this is much more of a discussion. If we're just continuing with the honorable mentions uh, and such, I would say if you adjust numbers for pace and for tempo and efficiency, mm. Hauser at Virginia, you have, to, you have to give credit to because his his efficiency numbers are really, and I know that he's just coming off of getting absolutely drubbed by Florida State on Monday night, but Virginia's been pretty impressive. I think he's been their best player. You can say what you want about Jay Huff, and um, it'll probably go against him, the comments that Tony Bennett made about, you know, you do what you can with what you have, uh, kind of disrespecting the talent that he has on his roster even though it's probably true um i do i just think that that's a good case to be made and then maybe ej liddell but the problem with that is he's what the fifth best big in the big 10 right and it's literally you can make an argument right now that aside from mobley the five best centers in college basketball are all in the big 10 the big 10 is a league of giants this year and aside from io Desumu, that trend holds true for every team of substance in that league, EJ Liddell, Trace Jackson Davis, Kofi Coburn, obviously Luca, who is, I mean, still the massive odds on favorite for national player of the year. And we'll have that discussion later. I don't agree with that, but uh, you look across that league and it is every Hunter Dickinson, Liam Robbins, every guy that towers at about seven foot of relevance in the entirety of college basketball that is not Evan Mobley is pretty much in that league or at Texas or, or I, I guess at Texas, but even those guys aren't like true and true centers. Like we're talking Kai no. Jones, six ten, he shoots the three and is pretty much a guy with a wing skill set. Jericho Sims just catches lobs. So it's not the, the plotting galumping. And maybe that speaks to why the big 10 has struggled in the NCAA tournament is because college basketball and NBA basketball has kind of moved away from that a little bit, but yeah, the best bigs, in the, in the entirety of the country are in the Big Ten. And it's funny because there are only two teams um, for all Big Ten performers, right? And we could see a guy make an All-American team out of the Big Ten and not be an all-Big Ten center. That's perfectly possible. Yeah. Yeah. That would so, be, it might happen. I, very well. Because it, okay, it'll, it'll ultimately come down to – it'll what it ultimately comes down to is – what do the beat writers and the media, I guess, maybe the coaches vote on it. I don't know. Um, what do, how does the national landscape view the conference versus how does the conference view the conference? And that will, that's why we could see a, a, a Juan Dixon type situation where somebody wins ACC player of the year and doesn't win national or win wins national player of the year without winning ACC player of the year. You know, that type of Absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. So we're in agreement. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that, you know, you want to give a little bit of credit to in this discussion. I would say uh, Chris Duarte is playing at a very high level on an Oregon team that I love. The statistical dominance has just not been consistent enough. He got very hot before turning his ankle against Washington State. Back to being healthy, but I just don't think that there's any outcome in which he plays well enough to play himself even into this discussion. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of love, but I just don't see a world where that happens um, next year and he may come back last year. I, I know that preparing for the Oregon game 
um, which I did the broadcast of for our local station, the best college radio station in the country, Blaze Radio. Shout out. Um, I was preparing for that game, reading the Oregon game notes. Shout out to the Oregon SID because <laughs> there was a section in the game notes titled the District of Duarte, which is weird because I think he was going for a play on like the Dominican Republic, but Duarte is Puerto Rican, so I don't know what was happening there. That was strange. So, yeah, weird. If you want to take a look at the Oregon game notes, have a peek because they're something. Um, so let, let's move forward now and, and talk about some of these conference players of the year because for as much consensus as we just had, I think there's going to be significantly less harmony because some of these are easy. Some of them, like the ACC, which is where we will begin, are impossible to figure out. Who is your ACC player of the year? I think in a situation where there's no dominant team, where there's no elite national title contender, you just go with the best statistical output and the most overwhelming player, and it's Justin Champagne. See, okay, and this is the hard part about that league because you've got Matthew Hurt, which is the league's leading scorer, Champagne, who is statistically, and as I've said, is the best pound-for-pound rebounder in college basketball. Dude is 6'6", averaging 11.5 points per game. That shouldn't happen. 18.5 points per game. They've also been on a killer losing streak as of late. They got that Virginia Tech upset since lost to NC State, lost to Georgia Tech, lost Virginia. They've lost three for four. They're not going to be in the NCAA tournament. Four for five, I should say, as well, because they lost to Notre Dame prior to the Virginia Tech loss. So he's not been Sterling in any of these losses I think it may be Champagne. I think it may be still a conversation about Matthew Hurt. I don't think that will happen. I think you can look at Aluma at Virginia Tech. You can look at Amir Sims at Clemson. You can look at Carly Jones at um, Louisville, and I would say no to all. I think the better Hauser brother is where you go. I think it should be Joey Hauser, especially if Virginia ends up winning the league. It will be because of him. He's got such a refined scoring game and is really the only reason that this offense um, stays afloat. And I definitely said Joey Hauser, not him. Um, I have this thing apparently where I, I say the brother, the less significant brother of players of excellence, because I said Isaiah Mobley instead of Evan Mobley last week. Um, no, I mean, Virginia Hauser, the one that actually, you know, is good. Yeah. I, I do wonder how much, little brother at Michigan State's feeling feeling about going there instead of going with him to Virginia. Yeah, so shout out to Sam Hauser, the the, the good one. Yeah, the good uh, one. I was just going to say, you, I, I don't know who the, you, you'd go to at Florida State, but I think they're the best team in that conference. And I think that the if it's going to be a the, – the reason I've seen people say it should be Carly Jones, I just don't think – Louisville is good enough. So it's the thing I keep I keep thinking like every person it's oh they're they're probably better but their team isn't elite and so I'm just like just give it to Champagne because his best is better than anybody else's. Right. I mean, here's the deal with uh, Florida State. Right. Like if if somebody's gonna win it, it's gonna be MJ Walker. He's scoring about 14 points per game. But the thing is. 
this is a team that has five guys that average over nine points per game. It's just very evenly distributed scoring. So I just don't see it coming from Florida State, even if they do end up winning the league. Champagne is a good shout. I think it should go to one of Champagne, Hauser, and Carleek. I think that's kind of your top three. After that, it gets harder to make a case for barring, yeah, barring the late Duke Rodgers, Matthew Hurt. Yeah. Let's do the Big East. Um, this one is equally befuddling. I'll give you the uh, high honor of starting us again. I think it's a guy. Uh, it has to, actually I'll start. It has to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl, right? Even though you don't like have a shock of inspiration in saying that deep in your soul it still is probably Jeremiah Robinson Earl with his big hands. Yeah, because David Duke has is, is good numbers on a very average team. Zagorowski and Booknight have just missed too many games. And I don't, there's Julian, Julian Champagny with St. John's. Josh Alexander, they've both been good. They've not yeah. been good enough to win this. Um, way too much. That's way too much recency bias. It, it has to be Jeremiah. Right. And they're also – they just lost to Butler, and their hot streak is kind of over. Yeah. I think it has to be Jerry. He's he's been when he's bad, Villanova's bad too. So he they kind of go as he goes more than yeah. anything else. Um, I just think it has to be him. He's he's also just the most physically gifted player in that league. That's not book night, right? Uh, the the raw numbers go as follows: fifteen point six points per game, seven point three rebounds. Two assists, not as elite of a rim protector as you might think, but he's actually not the biggest guy. He's only 6'9", really an NBA power forward type prospect, 0.6 blocks. The shooting has been really solid, 32% from deep, which is pretty good on um, about three attempts per game um, for a a center. Like, you'll take that. He's a decent pick-and-pop threat, shooting 50% from the floor. I think he is the guy there. Like I said, I don't love it. I think if James Booknight had played the entire season, we're not having a discussion here. Uh, he wins this award going away. I think he'd be top 10 in the nation in scoring. Like we saw this guy just drop 40 on Creighton. Like it was nothing prior to his injury. I think that's kind of the performance that you would have expected out of him on a night in night out base. Maybe not 40, but a guy who easily could have averaged about 20 points per game um, throughout the course of the year. So I am going to move the conversation forward now to the Big Ten, which we're going to differ here, and I'm excited for the debate. I'm going to go with Luca. Luca, I am not going to. I am not going to go with Luca. I am going to go with Iodasumu, and honestly, I don't think this should be an argument, even though that is not the public consensus. The public consensus is that Luca Garza is going to win the National Player of the Year. He's going to win Big Ten Player of the Year. It wouldn't be the first time we've seen a guy win their Conference Player of the Year and not win National Player of the Year, or vice versa, the National Player of the Year not win their Conference Player of the Year. It's happened before. I think it could happen again. I think maybe it should happen again. I know you've got a rigorous defense that you're prepared to lay out for Luca Garza, so let's hear it. So I think that we're giving Io, and I love him, and I think I picked I picked Illinois to go to the Final Four before the season started, and I said historically Iowa has not made it out of the second round of the tournament with Fran McCaffrey. I don't think they've made it out of the second round of the tournament since the early 90s. It would be it would be very rare. It would be a, a kind of a shock if Iowa w- were to have tournament success. With that being said, I think Luca Garza elevates the floor 
of this Iowa team. And then they were a 10 seed when they were guard oriented two years ago um, when we lost last saw them in the NCAA tournament. And um, they had a chance at playing Tennessee when Tennessee was a two seed. That was a, a team led by Jordan Bohannon. This is a team that's led by Luca Garza and co-captained by Jordan Bohannon. Um, you, you see the value, I guess, with Garza, the, the raw statistical numbers that he's putting up, the efficiency that he's, he's scoring with 43% from three, 59% from the field. He's doing it against, like you mentioned, a league full of bigs that are all stout. Um, it's, there's just, there's not a lot of nights off in that league and he doesn't really take any nights off. And I just think that we're giving IO a little too much credit as much as I love Illinois for clutch moments against Nebraska and Northwestern this last yeah, week. Which, and I get that. Which I get all this. Nebraska and Northwestern being clutch in the last couple of minutes of games that should not have been close, that were both uh, double-digit point spreads and ended up being single-digit games that he bailed them out at the end of, especially the Nebraska one. That being the thing that vaults him into the NPOI discussion is questionable in my mind because I think there's a lot better cases to be made um and I, I, you love to harp against Luca's defense and I think at times you've said he's the worst individual defender in college basketball and he's improved this year he's still bad though he's he's I think he's average he averages and you can say what you want about blocks per game he averages more blocks per game than this is a crazy list Eves Ponds Kofi Coburn fellow Big Ten uh, center trace jackson davis fellow big 10 center i think we would say that both of those two dudes are good defensively if not above average and then he also averages more blocks per game than justin and julian champagne so that is of note he's, well, he's considering not, julian champagne's a point guard i would hope so well, well. <laughs> my, here's my argument and and i'll i'll lay out the io argument because it's comprehensive and i will throttle you in this discussion i will dismantle you um, so the thing with Luca that's different than a guy like Kofi Coburn is he's going to get blocked by the nature of him being six and six eleven, and guys just not being afraid of him. They're going to throw shots up at him and he will get by nature of being six eleven a couple of blocks a game. Cause he's not intimidating at all. Guys are not afraid of him. Guys think they're going to be able to Euro him every time. Cause he's immobile at the back end of a defense. And he's part, there are very rarely, especially in college basketball, bad defenses with good defensive centers and Iowa is a bad defense and he is a bad defensive center that isn't the the corner keystone of my argument but that is my point in rebuttal to that because against a guy like Kofi Coburn you aren't throwing up the same kind of shots that could get blocked against Luca Garza because you know Kofi Coburn will block them that's the difference that's the reason why Luca Garza is getting blocks my other point is this, that everybody mocks up Luca Garza as the best offensive player in basketball and clung to that narrative very early in the year. That has changed a little bit. His points per game totals have come down throughout conference play. They were at about 28 points per game. Now they're at 24.5. He just had a very bad scoring game against Michigan State where they won by 30. I grant you that. That's the reason why that there's been a little bit of a precipitous plummet in his, his raw scoring. But here's the deal, okay? When we talk about total offensive contribution, Io Dasumu is actually providing more in terms of the total points accounted for per game. Not to mention that he's on the basketball and the offense totally runs through him, right? Whereas Luca Garza is not bringing the ball off the floor. You still have to work the ball into the post. 
I understand the offense. He's the conduit for their offense. But Luca Garza is averaging about 24 points per game and about two assists per game. You can roughly compute that out to, and I know you're going to make the argument that he's going to kick for threes. I, no, we're not doing that. I was trolled. That was a troll argument, just to be Roughly compute, to, compute that out to he's contributing roughly 28 points per game. Luca Garza is doing that. I would assume he was averaging 21.3 points per game with 5.1 assist per game. And I know this is a flawed piece of logic, but the rough math on that is not counting for driving kick threes. That actually computes out to a minimum of 31 points per game. So he's been a better offensive player in terms of total contribution. He's shooting 50% from the floor as a guard, which is harder to do. 40% from three, matching Garza on a higher volume. He's been better in the clutch, and he's a better defensive player. And his all-around stats aren't that far behind. He's averaging 21 points, but also six rebounds per game as a guard. I don't think this is a discussion. He's on a better team that's playing better right now that beat Iowa head-to-head. It should be Io Desumu. He has been better this year. To me, that is a fact. So that's my heartfelt argument as we're running low on time for who should be the Big Ten Player of the Year. I think that Io DeSumo should be ahead of him in the National Player of the Year race. We can talk about that briefly here in a second. Let's go right lightning round. Big 12 Player of the Year is Jared Butler, yes or no? Yes. Okay, cool. We're in agreement there. Pac-12 Player of the Year is Evan Mobley. That is a lock. Okay, we're in agreement there. SEC this one is a little bit tougher. Alabama's got a host of players you could give it to. Shreve Cooper's been the best statistically. Where are you going? I'm going Herb Jones, best player on the best team. I would tend to agree with this. I, I know some people have said Cam Thomas. Myron Metcalf said Cam Thomas. Freshman at LSU, one of the top scorers in the nation. They play worse when he scores more. That's not true. That's not true. That is fairly true. Javante Smart should be the guy who's the lead shot taker on that team. They play horribly when he does not score well, though. Right. I agree with that. I just don't think he – he is not the main driver of winning on that team. It is Darius Davis and Javon. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. So that that's my argument with that. I think Herb Jones is the skeleton key type player that allows Alabama to be an elite team because of what they can do defensively. So to me, it is definitely Herb Jones. You sure it's league. not Javon Quinterly? I'm sure it's not Javon <laughs> much as I love him. So to me, it's Herb Jones. We're in consensus and lockstep there. The only league that we differed on in that run were the ACC and the Big Ten, correct? Yeah, and then I think it should be noted. I guess I forgot this while we were discussing honorable mentions. I think Quentin Grimes uh, for uh, the non-power for, player of the year. For a, well, he's going to be the American Conference Player of the Year. WCC will be Corey Gisbert, but Quentin Grimes deserves, like, I think he's a solid third-team All-American. Best player on a top. I can give you that. I can give you that. Um, any any love for Cam Crutwig, your boy, at all? Oh, that's, a, that's, a deba- that's, that's a debate worth having. At 15 and 7, the raw numbers probably are not strong enough for him to make a case for an All-American spot, given some of the other bigs in the nation this year, but – you could have the debate, maybe. I don't know. It depends on how big you think Loyola is. If they've beaten Drake both times, you probably have a stronger case. Okay, let's poke a hole in a power ranking, do some scholarships and sanctions, and get out of here. Okay. You saw the graphic go up. You've got two minutes. Rip it apart. Um, I think <laughs> – I dropped – by the way, 
Drop Luca Garza. Let me just give the list for clarity. We went Kispert at one, Iodosumu at two, Jared Butler three, and I put Evan Mobley at four. Yeah, so I would go Ki- I would go Kispert at one still. Uh, he still has insane numbers. Would be Io- the first player in the history of college basketball to shoot 55, 45, 90. He's in range to do all three potentially. Yeah, um, Io... I owe it to Butler. I honestly would put Mobley over Butler if you're going to put Mobley on the list. Okay, fair enough. Especially, I just was going based on the fact that he's the best player on a team that may go undefeated in a power conference. Yeah, and as long as as long as USC um, dominates through and doesn't lose another game, they're going to continue to like they're 17th in the AP poll. They are 12th, I think, in the HC, maybe higher. Um, yeah they're going to keep going up yeah. and we might have to start like, they might be the PAC 12s one shining hope. They could be a two seed. If they get a good draw, they have the physical tools to knock off. Like I would pick USC in a upset over like a Michigan or an Ohio state. I think that wow. I, I, I could see myself doing that. Wow. Okay, cool. So there's your I, – I laid out the anti-Garza trust funds um, before then. You pick and choose what you want out of that. It, we ultimately, it just comes down to – ultimately, what it, what it comes down to is do you want to be right or do you want to stake your claim? And you would just yeah. stake your claim. I stake my claim. Side that ends up winning, yeah. Shot clock running down, quick scholarships and sanctions, go. Um, scholarship to the sec network they just got better tim tebow fully committed to analyzing sports rather than playing baseball sanctioned to the ncaa for extending the recruiting dead period through may 31st because we're just going to have so many kids transfer because they pick schools that they've never been to and then last scholarship uh shout out the pac-12 for getting amari bailey to ucla number three shooting guard he's gonna be a top pick and probably much I threw a scholarship in the way of Money Mick for throwing that damn bag around. Good on you. Getting Amari Bailey. Didn't get Dyson Knicks last year. This is the first time he's had, like, the anti-Mick Cronin way of we're going to actually get an elite recruit to UCLA, and I'm going to try and coach him with the UCLA name not on your jersey if you play badly in practice. Okay, cool. The entire National Association of Black Coaches for putting together the John Thompson tribute, executing the John Thompson tribute with all the coaches in the nation wearing that towel on their shoulder to pay homage to one of the all-time Goliaths of the sport um, who passed away, sadly, this year. And then sanctioned to ESPN. This was just really funny. From During the UVA-Florida State game this weekend on national TV, and this is an understandable mistake. They do the split screen showing Len- Leonard Hamilton, Tony Bennett, and they flip the lower third. So Tony Bennett underneath him is said Leonard Hamilton, and underneath Leonard Hamilton it said Tony Bennett. And those were like the two most opposite coaches in the world. And it was just a very funny so, There's a shot clock. Those are sounds. See you next Thursday.